Section 6 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles Judy Roberts. Gaspar of the Black Lermachons, Part 2. The night fell dark over the marshes of Manadruyer. The half-dozen new cottages of the English settlers showed no glimmer of candlelight from their windows. Secure in the neighborhood of Fort Lawrence, not ten miles distant, and happy in the fertility of their new lands, proved by the rich harvest just garnered, the settlers slept the sound sleep of those who rise at dawn to work with their hands. The raiding party had made their journey from Grand Pre, by canoe and trail, in three days. Haste was not urgent, or they might have done it in less time. It wanted some hours of moonrise when they came upon the first rail fence of the Manadier fields. Gaspar's heart sank as he perceived that there had been no warning, that Perot's errand to Father Fafad had been in vain. A minute more and the cabins were surrounded, with no sound but here and there a hush rustling, like the wind among dead leaves. A dog barked, but the bark ended abruptly in a whining sob. Then, in three or four places, little flickers of flame appeared, punctuating the darkness. In a second, the rolls of white birch park flared up vividly and were set to stack and burn. At the same instant, every door was beaten in. Windows went to pieces with a shivering crash and the cruel yell of the Micmacs. Wolfish, appalling, rose over the sudden glare, wavered in long-drawn cadence, and stopped. After what seemed to Gaspar, an interminably prolonged silence, shrieks, oaths, and shouting broke out within the cabins. At first he had stood inactive, sick with pity and impotence. But at this first sign of living humanity in the dark cottages, Gaspar made up his mind what to do. The largest of the houses was just before him. Springing through the open door, he stumbled over two prone and writhing figures in the passage. The glare from the stack showed him a painted micmac and a white man in his shirt, locked in a death grip. This was no affair of his. He slipped past, darted up a narrow stairway, and found himself before two doors, one open and one shut. To the shut one he turned, with a flash of thought that here, perhaps, he might be in time. The door was bolted, but snapped open as his shoulder surged against it, and he paused upon the threshold. The little room was brilliantly alight from a blaze of hay just before the window. Against one wall was a low bed. He had a vision of a young girl starting up from the pillow, her great eyes wide with fear, her face whitely gleaming with a wild glory of red-gold hair. A cry froze on her lips, and she clutched at the blankets as if to try to hide some small form that lay between her and the wall. At this moment, another door, opposite to Gaspar, burst open, and a savage darted in. His fierce black eyes fell on the bed, and with a whoop he pounced forward, scalping knife in hand. The girl cowered, shuddering, and hid her face. 
But Gasper was there as soon as the savage. With his left hand, he caught the uplifted wrist, and the stroke never fell. Under the raised arm, his long knife shot home to the hilt, driven hotly. The redskin dropped with a deep, gasping grunt. Gasper rolled the limp body under the bed. The girl, who had looked up in time to see the end of the swift encounter, was gazing at him in bewilderment. Quick, mademoiselle, get up. Come. There'll be others here on the instant, he ordered sharply, thrusting into her hands a heavy woolen skirt, which lay on a chair nearby. She had her wits about her in a moment. No, she answered, save him if you can, and pulling aside the covering, she showed him a rosy child asleep beside her. Caspar's jaw set like iron. Jesus-Marie, he vowed between his teeth. I will save you both, but it will be hard. Come, come. And hastily rolling the little one in the blanket, he snatched him up and turned to the door by which he had entered. The girl, meanwhile, had slipped small white feet into the shoes which lay by the bed, thrown on the skirt deftly, flung a quilt over her head and shoulders, and was at his side without a further word. Even in that desperate moment, Gaspar gloried in her self-control. How our women would have been shrieking, he said to himself. The bundle on his left arm began to squirm awkwardly, and muffled cries came from within it. He turned and thrust it into the girl's arms. Keep him quiet, he muttered, though in truth there seemed little need of silence, for the red night was one quavering horror of yells, shrieks, and curses, penetrated sharply with a musket shot now and then. As the girl took the child, a brief lull in the uproar let her hear deep groans from a neighboring room. Oh, there's my uncle's room she gasped, beginning to tremble violently and leaning against the wall. But in a second she was firm again and followed steadily with the child in her arms. At the foot of the stairs opened a small windowless closet and into this, perceiving the approach of several savages by the front door, Gaspar pushed his charges. He took his stand in the entrance, leaning indifferently against the doorpost his musket hitherto unused, its one charge guarded for a supreme emergency, rested in his left arm. His right hand lay on the handle of his sheathed knife. Huh? grunted the foremost savage inquiringly, while the others passed on. He peered over Gaspar's shoulder into the thick shadows of the closet. Then he attempted to push past, but the young man's elbow jerked forward urgently, balked him. The savage grunted again with resentment and half raised his hatchet, but Gasper's cold gaze made him hesitate. My business, brother, go on, was the curt command, and after an angry pause, the redskin followed his fellows up the stairs. The moment he disappeared, Gasper turned, clutched the girl's arm, and dragged her at a run out of the door into the lowered street. There he paused, and they walked as if there were no need of haste, straight down the middle of the street. A savage in the doorway opposite eyed them curiously, but, not recognizing Gaspar in his war paint, supposed his brother savage knew his business. Then three yelling redskins ran past, 
hard on the heels of a half-naked and unarmed white man who fled with chalk face and mad eyes of horror. As they passed, one of the redskins aimed a slash at the girl with his knife, but his arm was caught by Gaspar with a wrench that nearly snapped it, and with a cry of pain and astonishment he ran on, not stopping to investigate the mystery. A minute more and the fugitives found themselves opposite a lane, which led down between some burning outbuildings to a spur of thick woodland. Here they turned, but as they did so, two savages stepped out from the nearest house to which they had set fire and stood squarely in their path. Simultaneously, they caught at the bundle in the girl's arms, but quick as a flash, Gasper swept her behind him. Mine, said he, curtly and coolly, warning them off with a gesture. Have a care, brothers. Huh, Chief Cope say no captives this time, said one of the savages, while the other stood irresolute. But I say captives, rejoined Gasper in a haughty voice. If Chief Cope objects, he can talk to me by and by. I am Gasper Le Marchand, and am minding my business. Go you about yours, brothers. The two savages looked at each other, and then a gasp of steady eyes confronting them. We want our share, brother, grumbled the spokesman. You shall have that, the scalp money, replied Gasper with a sneer. One livre tournoir, to each of you I will pay. Come to me for it, at Grand Pre, when you will. How we know, the French lie sometimes, and what? objected the savage. The black Lermachons don't lie answered Gasper sternly. I will pay you. Go. And they went, judging this Frenchman one ill to thwart. Gaspar fetched a deep breath of relief as he led the girl, with her silent burden down the lane, safe out of the glaring exposure of the street. The heat was stifling as they passed between the blazing sheds, but he judged the worst of the peril was behind them. From a noticeable change in the character of the shouts and yells that still rent the air, he knew that certain supplies of potent New England rum had been discovered, and that for a time the raiders would have other things than dry pursuit to think of. But he congratulated himself too soon. One pair of vindictive eyes, at least, had seen him turn into the lane and had been concerned that Chief Cope's order, all scalps, no captives, should be enforced. The girl's quick ear caught a footfall behind her. She glanced back, and suddenly as light swung herself, with a warning cry around in front of her protector. Gaspar wheeled in his tracks and faced a huge savage, whose knife dripped blood still steaming. For several seconds, the two eyed each other in silence, but Gaspar could not waste time. I don't want to kill you, said he no longer cool and masterful, but beginning to lose himself in rage. Don't interfere with me. Be off. Losing control of himself, he lost control of his opponent. Ugh, snarled the savage. Acadian no good, and made a lightning pass at him. But Gaspar had the eye and hand which worked quicker than the brain can order them. Ere that stroke formed itself, he swerved lightly and the muzzle of his musket, shooting upward, caught the redskin just below the chin. His head and both hands flew up, 
and as he staggered backward, Gasper swung the butt in a short circle so that it fetched him terrifically in the ribs. That fellow will not trouble us any further, he explained to the girl, as he eyed the painted heap in the gutter. Less than a minute more, and they were within the shadow of the ancient woods. The girl sank, half-fainting, at the foot of a tree, but Gasper pulled her to her feet. No, no, he muttered sternly. You must not break down now. You have been wonderful, wonderfully brave and strong, mademoiselle. But you must keep it up. We may be followed. We must get away this instant. Yes, I will be strong. I will do anything you bid me, sir, she answered, leaning upon him for a moment, but still firmly clutching the child, who meanwhile had got his little yellow head from the smother of the blanket and was watching Gasper with round, blue, wondering eyes. I'll carry him now, said Gasper, and the little fellow came to him readily, laughing and rubbing the paint from his cheek with delighted fingers. You take the musket, he continued. Could you use it at need, mademoiselle, or not, madame? No, not madame, she answered, the faintest color returning to her white cheek. He is my little cousin, alas, an orphan now, as I have been since a child like him. But as for this, and she examined the musket with a brave face, yes, I can use it, sir, and will fight beside you if you will let me. But how do you come to be among these fiends and painted as one of them? Oh, no, why do I ask questions instead of just thanking God on my knees that you were among them? She knelt, but was up again before Gasper could bid her to take a more convenient season for her devotions. Through the woods they pressed breathlessly, till first the babble behind them died out, and at last the glare of the burning grew dim. And then, with the earliest rose of dawn, they came out upon the marshes and saw, not a half a league away, the low ramparts of Fort Lawrence. As they journeyed, now at an easier pace, Gasper's eyes could not keep themselves from the strangely clad but wholly bewildering figure at his side. Her calm, her marvelous courage, the confidence of her white, fine-chiseled face, the wonder of her hair aglow in the early light were a revelation of unguessed womanhood to him. His brain fumed with a thousand plans, but his tongue was wisely dumb. At last, they reached the foot of a gentle slope, some half mile from the fort gates, and here Gasper stopped. I will watch you safely in, mademoiselle, said he, putting the child back into her arms and taking his musket. But... My name is Ruth, sir, she interrupted. You have not asked it, but I hope you will remember it a while. Ruth Allison, sir. Gasper's gray eyes flamed upon her and his speech grew stammering. Ruth, I mean Mademoiselle, he cried. I will not go up to the fort now because I should be detained for explanations and I must make the utmost haste back to Grand Pre. I must get my house sold and take my mother and young brother to a place of safety before the black abbey gets wind of my part in this night's work. Then I must see you again, mademoiselle, to ask if you, if you and the little one, who seems to love me, I think, are recovered after these horrors. You will stay here, will you not? 
and I may come, may I not? Surely I should be grieved indeed if your interest in those you have saved were not enough to bring you, sir, she answered simply. And for your noble courage, you're splendid. Oh, sir, how can I find words for such generosity? God will surely reward you. I pray, mademoiselle, said Gasper in a low voice, turning to go, that you will not leave my reward altogether to God. End of section six.